You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. Welcome to the Locked On Hornets podcast. We are coming to you from the Gittimer.com studios in Uptown Charlotte. If you're in sales and need help, visit Gittimer.com today to learn how they can help you do the one thing you want to do, and that's make more sales. Make sure you are following us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Hornets and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Locked On Hornets. You can find myself on Twitter at Walker Mail and Doug at Doug Branson NBA. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Visit LockedOnSports.com to check out all of our podcasts on the NBA, NFL, MLB, and fantasy sports. First, I want to apologize for a glaring omission brought to us by our friend on Twitter, Pre Malone at Panthers Mafia, also being pointed out by our other friend, Nada. He also brought it to our attention on the great fat basketball players that we had a glaring omission. The fat basketball players of all time, we did not have Raymond Felton mentioned in that last podcast that we did. He also looks like Tupac, a fat basketball playing Tupac. So we missed him, and that was a bad one. We mentioned it before we got on the show, but we did not mention it during it. So it must have slipped my mind. That's one you have to mention, so we apologize for that. Also, Sean May, indeed a large human being, a couple of Charlotte Bobcat greats, Raymond Felton and Sean May, and a couple of Carolina greats. We missed out on both of them. Great food at Carolina, let me tell you. As oh. a graduate there, I don't blame either of those gentlemen for L- putting on the pounds. A lot of Pepper's Pizza they were eating. A lot of uh, sup dogs, right? A lot of beeskies. <laughs> a lot. It's just naming Franklin Street restaurants, I guess. A lot of timeout. Yeah, a lot. A lot of it. So don't. we apologize to them. We apologize to you. They are indeed fat basketball players that we missed out on. Also, I apologize for completely forgetting about one Hornets player. Now, <laughs> we just failed to get into our roster evaluation. We went down all the players. We thought we moved on and just skipped over them. Marvin Williams. Pretty decent key guy on the roster you think we'd mentioned, but not us. A Clifford Warrior, we forgot to break his game down, so we'll get into that today. Still haven't done Billy Hernan Gomez, but we'll we'll get to that next week. Yeah, wait, like I got that. him. Yeah, I got him on the docket for next week. He's all, right. all good to go. All right, Billy Hernan Gomez, we'll get to next week. We'll get to him later, but Marvin Williams, we'll get to today. So Marvin again, a guy that we just skipped over, not with any kind of intention, but just did so. So we'll make sure that we dedicate today's podcast to Marvin Williams. Shout out, Marvin. This one's for you. But first, let's get into the playoffs because we finally got a good one last night between the Golden State Warriors and the Houston Rockets. Game fours are so pivotal, too. That's what made it so much fun. When you have a game four, everything is at stake for the team down 2-1. So you almost have a mini game seven type of feel Because at least for one team, everything is on the line. And for that one team, it was the Houston Rockets. Either go down 3-1 to or you tie it up 2-2. And the Rockets answered the bell, just like they did in Game 2, with some outstanding basketball that they played. And it was a little bit up and down for them. But for the most part, I think you got to tip your hat to what the Houston Rockets did last night. Different guys showed up at different times. James Harden was phenomenal in the first half offensively wasn't all that great in the second had some very good defensive stops in the second half but offensively first half guy was phenomenal he was one of the best um, offensive players in the game this entire regular season and he showcased it last night Chris Paul was not so good in the first half exceptional in the second half looked like he was really in control of that team that passed on the baseline to Trevor Reza who hit a big shot that was just insane put some English on it almost went out of bounds and Trevor Reza was able to hit that shot Eric Gordon going 0 for 6 from beyond the arc he steps up 
He goes one for seven with the biggest shot of that game to put them up a three-point basket and eventually hold on to that lead. And Ariza, again, I mentioned him hitting a huge three. P.J. Tucker, not exactly the offensive outpour he had in game two, but continues just to mean mug his way to getting those defensive rebounds and playing good defense. Actually went to the line a couple of times. P.J. Tucker was big in that win. So they answered the Warriors' first half surge and then that third quarter. Uh, the Warriors came out on fire in the third quarter, just like they have all postseason, and the Rockets came back from that. And you have to be shocked about the Rockets actually answering that from the Warriors because the third quarter has proven to be deadly for any team they've been up against. And they have a 12-0 run, a 12-point deficit, I should say, excuse me, the Rockets, in the fourth quarter, and they're able to come back from that, holding Golden State to 12 points. The defense was outstanding from Houston. I was shocked that they were able to answer that third quarter run that the Warriors had. But I will say this. If we knew any team could score enough and score quickly enough to get back into a game with Golden State on one of those patented Warriors runs, I think we all knew it was the Rockets. If there was going to be one team to be able to do that, it was going to be Houston because offensively, their efficiency has been crazy high all regular season long. And despite them kind of having a roller coaster trip up and down a couple of times this postseason, they were able to give us a good game where it went down to the wire. And the Rockets tie it up, Doug. The Rockets tie it up 2-2, two to two, and it's exactly what I wanted. I would imagine it's exactly what every other NBA fan wanted in that Western Conference Finals series that a lot of people even kind of tabbed as the NBA Finals because it is the two best teams that finish in the regular season, or at least you would think the two best teams just overall in the regular season. Yeah, this is great. This was a game of uh, two-on-two, essentially. You had, what, 40, 50 attempts from Kevin Durant and Steph Curry versus 46 attempts from Chris Paul and James Harden. So you've got the two biggest stars from each team going toe-to-toe in this one. And the Rockets uh, just were able to hit one or two more shots in that fourth quarter. Uh, I'm just amazed that we finally, finally, Walker, got a close game in one of these conference finals. I was starting to wonder if, if we were going to go 14 games, both go to game seven, without having one decent game to watch in between the two finals. I'm glad we didn't. I'm glad we didn't because it, it's always fun to have a Game 7, you know, the old axiom, right? No better words than Game 7 in sports. It's the best words in all of sports. And I I agree with that, but then you feel kind of dirty getting there the way that we had been getting there. It was blowouts every game until you get to a Game 7, and at that point, do you call it a good series? Or do you fall on the on the path of, you know, the Pacers Cavs last year? The Cavs swept the Pacers, but it was like a one point, three point game every single game in the first round. Like, do you go to the game seven where every game is a 20 point blowout, but you at least get there? It was weird. I didn't want to get there like that. I'm glad we didn't, at least with one of these series. We'll see tonight with Boston and Cleveland. So we'll see. I, I hope I hope we don't, but we'll see if we get there tonight. Should they have called a timeout, Doug? Steve Kerr, 12, 10 seconds left to go, full court. Steve Kerr does not call a timeout. Kevin Durant gives it up to Clay Thompson, just bottled up by Houston's defense. I know that's a classic case of the Roy Williams, where we always are discussing that with Roy, with uh, North Carolina basketball. Steve Kerr doing that last night. Do you have a problem with no T.O.? Absolutely not. This is a team in Golden State is, that is built on causing and taking advantage of chaos. I mean, they thrive. We've seen them thrive so many times in that kind of situation and take advantage of it. And I don't think that you all of a sudden decide to get conservative 
and and restrict uh, the you know the four future Hall of Famers that you have on the floor. I think the problem you had that Draymond Green was able to point out was Draymond Green. I think wanted a timeout after things kind of got hectic in their half court. Mm-hmm. It wasn't at the full court where yeah. I, I completely agree. Let those guys take control of it. Have Kevin Durant get the ball in his hands, dribble down the court. Draymond Green floats to the wing. Steph Curry floats to the wing, and it's good basketball. But Kevin, he gives it up to Clay. Clay doesn't. What are you doing? I I don't know what you're doing. Giving it up to him. Clay doesn't know what to do because the defense is great. Then you just gotta throw an old heave ho. This is great. You take 24 attempts in the game, and then when the game's on the line, and and I I know he regretted it after the game, but no regrets. Let's just hey, next time take the shot. Well, and, and if Houston loses this game, and in any kind of bad fashion, the storyline we're talking about is James Harden just getting shook on the three-point line early going in that game. And he just doesn't shoot it. It's weird. Draymond Green, you, you don't test those kind of guys. You don't test offensive MVPs to shoot three-pointers. But Draymond did almost. It's a, It was a more of a defensive lapse. I feel like Draymond said, oh, that's James. I got to go get him. And James still just refused to shoot it. And that was a bad start for the Houston Rockets. But they're able to bounce back. Harden gets Draymond Green on a dunk that just is flat out embarrassing for Green. God, that was nasty. And then on that same goal, poor Draymond just can't quite flush it down. And he gets rim stuffed. Like, it's a bad day. When you lose a game four, you get dunked on bad. That might be the first time I've seen Draymond get dunked on, too. Like you don't see Draymond get that happen to him. And he tried to tackle Harden after that. Oh, he he was, was angry. Yeah, he was upset. Well, well, of and, course. And here's what we haven't talked about yet, and probably one of the reasons why the Golden State Warriors are now uh, facing you know this this two two tie instead of you know everyone thought the Warriors were going to sweep, and now all of a sudden this is a competitive series because they get nothing out of Sean Livingston, they get nothing out of Swaggy P, they get. A very uh, they get a little bit from Jordan Bell, but I mean they they are just getting zero contributions from their bench right now. I I thought I thought Jordan Bell played decent last night. Yeah. I thought defensively he was pretty good, sure. for, especially for a rookie. I thought he was fine, but I think that speaks to the bigger issue of not having Iguodala. Maybe right. it's not getting those three guys, but maybe that was a little bit more undersold. And there were some basketball heads out there, of course, telling you this was going to be a big loss. I don't know if I bit into that a whole lot. Like I understand it was a loss. I understand Iguodala means a lot to that team. I just didn't think that would be the deciding factor in a game. And I'm not even saying Iguodala plays that they win that game. I'm just saying maybe it was a little bit more of a factor than we realized. Steve Kerr, by the way, giving a fatigue excuse at the end of that. Not please. I'm booing that so hard. Come on. You got a game rest in between a day's rest in between those games. I mean, Houston's playing just as many minutes with their stars. They went, what, seven deep last night, eight deep. And the Warriors and the Warriors, regardless whether they played well, at least the Warriors got some minutes out of Swaggy P and Sean Livingston. Right. So I, it's fatigue. I'm, I'm not here for that, Steve. Get that out of here. Let's swat that away. If you like what we're doing here, make sure you are checking out what else the Locked On Podcast Network has to offer, including Locked On Panthers host Bill Rossetti. He's getting you ready for the preseason with news and analysis from Charlotte to Spartanburg. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search Locked On Panthers. We're proud to be part of the Locked On Podcast Network, covering the biggest local stories in every single market. We'll take a break. Marvin Williams up next. It's the Locked On Hornets podcast. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. Did he go with Myers Leonard as his first comparison as a big man hitting from the three-point line? Oh, did I say Leonard? I meant uh, Miles Turner. Okay, (laughs) you did. I think you said Miles Leonard. That was on me. Good start on that. That's a bad mistake. 
I know when I think shooting big men, Myers Leonard is the first guy that comes to mind. Absolutely. I was thinking Steve Clifford and I might be Hot the shot. same wavelength. Hot shot, there. Myers Leonard. <laughs> that's, that's his nickname. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Welcome back to Locked on Hornets. Walker Mail, Doug Branson getting you through today. We thought we were good on the player evals, but not so much. We forgot to mention Marvin Williams and take a look at his role with the team. Marv. Good old Marv. I say Marv, Doug. It's got to bring you back to home alone, right? Like That's always what I think of anytime you shorten that name up. That's a good, that's a, that's a, I feel like that's a sneak home the alone reference. Bandits? It's not the, it's, no, it's not, not great. It's not the one that, but it's a good one. You know, speaking of home alone, have you seen this Brandy Chastain Hall of Fame plaque that looks, you have a home alone connection with the plaque? Yeah. I, 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 first of all, yes. I mean, that, that plaque is, is horrendous. It, it makes Cristiano Ronaldo look like his identical twin down right. there at the airport. It, it's, it's, it looks just like him compared to what, this plaque for Brandy Chastain looks like. It's so bad they, they are going to redo it. And but it looks like the dad from Home Alone. Like <laughs> Kevin, it's a Kevin it's McAllister. A, yeah. What's it what's his name? Is it is it Kevin McAllister is the dad and also it's Junior, right? All right, now we gotta I, look well, it up. Okay, I'll look I apologize. It up. I'm sorry I've created extra work for you. But point is it looks like the dad from you, Home Alone. You know, that's the second that's the second John Hurd is his name in real life, I believe. R.I.P. John Hurd, by the way. Ooh. But that's the second John Hurd reference I've had today alone. And I'm not making that up. And that is not Brandy Chastain plaque. Okay, we're, we're searching for the character name in this. And I'm looking first link is Washington Post article about, about his death. And it says John Hurd, actor who played Home Alone Dad. So right. we can't even get the name. Do we not get his name? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm still working well, on it's, it. Well, it's not on you. It's just on, is that just a thing? Like, do we just, is that his name just not mentioned right. in the movie? Right. In all of these articles, he's Home Alone Dad. <laughs> right. He doesn't have a character name. I, I wonder. I'm going to search for this. By the way, the second John Heard reference, the first one today was, you know, Bobby, my co-host on the wake up call for 730 the game, ESPN Charlotte. We were talking about John Heard about it. So basically he looks like the guy that is trying to cut the wire to defuse the bomb and die hard with a vengeance at the elementary school. <laughs> and that was also a connection of a connection because the new Carolina Panthers owner, David Tepper, looks like. The guy trying to defuse the bomb at the elementary school in Die Hard with a Vengeance, which I thought looked like John Hurd, a.k.a. Kevin McAllister's dad. A.k.a. Peter McAllister. I never would have got that. I don't think I can tell you. Now, Uncle Frank, I can tell you. Uncle Frank was just an ornery old man. And that's, that's the only other guy I can tell you. Buzz, I can tell you Marv. The Wet Bandits, of course. Is it the Sticky Bandits or the Wet Bandits in, in the first Home Alone? Okay, I'm just gonna spend the rest of the show. We need a research team. Home alone. I'm going. I no, it's the wet bandits because they turn on the sink and then they yes. flood the basement and then they're yes. the sticky bandits afterward and they have to change it. You just got to get dig deep into the knowledge that is the Christmas movie, Doug. So we'll move on to Marvin Williams and stay away from all the Marv research I'm forcing Doug to do. If you just look up more Christmas movies, Doug, that'd be appreciated. That's okay. going to be the new role for you here <laughs> for the new role for today's show. Marvin comes in to Charlotte four years ago. Signs a two-year deal with Charlotte for $7 million a year and instantly gets that starting job over Cody Zeller, a younger power forward at the time for the Charlotte Hornets because Al Jefferson, Big Al, was still here with the Hornets at the time. Bobcats as well making that transition. So Marvin was a Clifford favorite because of his team defense, which was very good. 
And that was the reason that he got that starting job. And, you know, decent guy, I guess, a good veteran guy from Atlanta. Never lived up to the billing of his number two overall selection. Does Marvin have a little pudge on him, too? Maybe not. Like, it's it's there. I wouldn't say he's fat. He's not in that category. No. But but a little... He's svelte. I feel like he's he's not, he's not like, built, but Kind of like svelte. a James Harden build, like, where it's it's like kind of... It's, yeah. it's thick. Yeah. Am I reaching? No, he's he's, he's it's, homely. It's thick. He's thick. I'm just I'm just trying to create he's a strong man. Carolina basketball. A big jingle man. all the way. We're spending Christmas movies. Is that is that what we're doing? We're just kind of yelling. Gremlins. <laughs> okay. You can keep doing that. That is that is your job for today. So Marvin Williams comes in again, instantly gets that starting job, a Clifford Warrior, and after the couple of years, after the year that they make the playoffs and lose to Miami in seven games. Charlotte is presented with four basically important free agents that they have, and they have to make a decision on Nick Batum, Marvin Williams, Jeremy Lin, Courtney Lee, and they have to make a decision on all four of those guys. And that was the first year we saw the money just go stupid within the NBA. So it was at a bad time for the Charlotte Hornets and pretty much everyone else that was making decisions at that time. I would think in the in that order of importance too. Nick Batum, Marvin Williams, Jeremy Lin, Courtney Lee. I would think maybe with the exception of a debate with Courtney Lee and Jeremy Lin, but it seemed like Nick was your guy at first, and then Marvin was slotted second. And it was no surprise when Lin and Lee were eventually gone. And and he was someone that was a consistent shooting threat, and and I think someone that the franchise felt was an essential part of that locker room was a great veteran presence. Could uh, could bring some of the young talent that they wanted to bring to the team along. Uh, and so for those reasons, for those intangibles, uh, it, for the franchise, it was worth it. But it was certainly concerning to people because of his age and because there wasn't, the, the, you know, we really only had the one breakout right. season. Well, offensively, at least. Right. I mean, we only had the the one breakout season shooting wise yes. because because he was, you know, fine. I mean, it's not like he's crazy wowing you with how many points per game he's getting. But the shooting was important that single season. His second year with Charlotte is when he had the good shooting performance. He shot 40 percent from beyond the arc. And I think that's the one question you had was, was that a flash in the pan shooting wise for Marvin? Was that the one season you were going to get? those kind of shooting numbers beyond the arc because we all knew where the NBA was going. It was important. The three-point shooting was important to that team that lost in seven games to the Miami Heat. And we saw it with Jeremy Lin being able to shoot the ball. We saw it with a 3 and T, three and D type guy with Courtney Lee. And so Marvin, I think that's what comforted us, but also we were worried that that was going to go away. And it did the following season. I was worried. I felt like I was on a little bit of an island when that contract. I, I think felt I, like there was, was I was do, Was I doing your show? Was I, It wasn't the wake-up call then. It was... Um, it would have been inside the line. Was I doing inside the... No, I was, no, I was on with... The Pulse, uh, maybe. Then. Yeah, I was on the Pulse, and I mentioned that, and I felt like that I got a lot of pushback for that. By the way, Batman Returns, little known Christmas movie. I didn't know that was a Christmas movie. I was like, I thought we were yelling. Yeah, so some two odd Christmas movies you've named, by the way, with Gremlins and Batman Returns. Like, there's a million different ways you can go, and those are the two you go with. Just interesting selections. But I'm with you. I was with you on Marvin. I thought, because you only had that one year. And, it, and he went down, so it's you know 36%, I believe, 35%. And it was noticeable from him last season where he wasn't able to shoot the three ball that well. But then he goes up again this year. So perhaps, I mean, it's in the middle of his, his newfound shoot or his shot, right? Like in, in the middle of the season, my God, he was shooting 44%. He was among the league leaders. See, I think he was leading the league for a time. And then 
Now he, he eventually would kind of tail off at the end, but still a very respectable 41%. So th- this is the Marvin that we have now, though, right? I mean, at the beginning of next season, he's going to be 33 years old. Marvin Williams will have shot 40% two of his four years with the Charlotte Hornets. But also, and Doug, we can look at cleaning the glass here, his usage percentage, and you can notice this as well with the shot attempts, the traditional ones kind of go into the analytics here. His shot attempts were down. His field goal attempts beyond the arc were down. And his usage percentage is is significantly down from the last couple of seasons he's been in Charlotte second year was 45 third year was 34 and last year was 21 those are all percentiles so he's in the 45th percentile the 34th percentile until last year he was in the 21st percentile of usage rate well you saw this season a couple of things change the ball was in his hands less and that makes sense right Walker because they brought Dwight Howard he was going to get more of those big touches when they were on the floor together but you all you also saw a couple aspects of his offense go away Uh, the pump fake and drive you didn't see that as much from from Marvin Williams and that little uh, the the little play they would run the sort of um the uh, the pick and roll that they would run where he would sort of fake the pick and 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 flash down inside they didn't run that play as much either and a lot of his offensive troubles last season Walker were finishing around the rim strangely enough yes his shooting was down overall uh, but so much of it was his inability to finish at the rim it was strange because he did it so well two seasons ago and you just didn't see him get that many opportunities at it this season and his his shooting goes back up, and that's why he was overall an efficient offensive player. But at the same time, he's just not getting a lot of touches. Well, and and you mentioned efficiency. You can go to cleaning the glass again. You can look at his points per shot attempt. Two years ago, when he had that breakout year, on a 45% usage rate, he was in the 92nd percentile in points per shot attempt, which is fantastic. You go to this season, the ratio is just as good, if not better, considering he was only a 21% usage rate percentile. He actually was in the 71st percentile in points per shot attempt. So with a 21st percentile usage rate, was in the 71st percentile in points per shot attempt. That's fantastic for Marvin Williams. I think that's the kind of production that you want from a guy like that. And it kind of bowed to the question. I think there were some questions at the beginning when he was shooting 44%. Do you have to try to get him more looks? And I probably not. I mean, it was probably just as effective as he needed to be, but still at least warranted. At least you pondered that question because he was playing so well from beyond the arc and was able to shoot a little bit better. Jaws the Revenge. Classic. Christmas movie for the kids. <laughs> it's a, yeah, that, that one's that one's going to be rated G, moms. Take your kids to watch that one. Um, and Marvin, I, you just look at what he did the past few seasons. I think you know what you have, and you're comfortable with it, but probably not at $13 million, which is what that contract gave you. Now, I mean, you, you're giving Marvin a three-year contract at the time worth $13.5 million. You've got him on the books for one more season. After So this one is going to be the last one. He's going to be 33 years old. And at this point, we've talked about the kind of contracts you can package with a Kimball Walker or a Jeremy Lamb. You know, I, I think he falls into that same category of a Cody Zeller of some of these guys that are getting paid just a little too much. And maybe a, a, it's not a $20 million contract, but it, it's enough to hurt. It's enough when you add them up, it hurts you and you can't go after any of these guys. And you might just have to play the waiting game because of it, because you got so many making double digit million where, you know, do you want to pay a 33 year old? Do you want to take on that contract of a 33 year old who has a 21 percent in the percentile usage rate? That's 
basically just shooting threes for you and playing good team defense is going to be a great locker room guy and probably and by far the best guy to talk to in that locker room phenomenal guy just a, it's a great dude but I don't, I don't think it's worth 13 million it's it's a really interesting question and i'll tell you why Oh, we got some breaking news. All right, I'll have to put it off for now, uh, <laughs> along with the Christmas movies. Respect the sound. This is breaking Malik Monk news. That's right. Locked on Hornets is keeping you updated on everything Malik Monk this offseason. You're welcome. Uh, and the tip line is open, by the way. If you see Malik Monk, if, if you talk to Malik Monk uh, or anyone that knows Malik Monk, let us know. Uh, on Twitter, at Locked On Hornets, we want all of the Malik Mug news that we can possibly handle and get it uh, mainline it straight to your veins. All right, so the all-rookie teams <laughs> were announced yesterday. As expected, Donovan Mitchell and Ben Simmons were unanimous first-team selections. They joined Jason Tatum, Kyle Kuzma, and Lowry Markinen on the first team. Dennis Smith Jr., Lonzo Ball, John Collins, Bogdan Bogdanovich, and Josh Jackson round out the second team. Malik Monk did receive one all rookie second team. Vote. Oh, who did that? Who gave him that vote? Got one all rookie second team vote. He joins Luke Kennard, Frank Mason the third, Frankie Three Sticks, Frank Nilakina, Simi Ojale, and Sindarius Thornwell on the all first and only vote team. That's a I'm I'm that's a okay. cop, copyright Doug Branson locked on Hornets 2018. The all first and only vote team. Yeah, that's in, that's impressive. Good job, Malik. We're here for you, man. Thank God that you. Yeah, nice job. You got that one vote. So Malik gets in. Do you have any problems with that list? By the way, it's just weird how many players get the one vote, and then Jason Tatum, someone right. made him second team for some reason. What's going on there? He should have been a unanimous. He should have gotten all one hundred. You know, as well. it's funny. It brings up the media voting about you know the voting for these awards, voting for. Uh, not even maybe not all-star games but voting for the all nba teams as well because it, it's affecting the money that these guys can get and, and it, it shows you the effect that the media can have and it, there's going to be bad votes like that i'm still i'm still an advocate of the media voting for it and i and look my reason is is that we've seen what the players do with the all-star games. thank you thank you i was about to say that exact same thing they make it a joke you know what we got our senior superlatives taken away from us because we voted for kids that should not have been getting the awards they were going to get like so we got it taken away from us that's how i view how the nba has handled things the players could not be trusted with their votes for the all-star game so they got that privilege taken away well and part of the reason to give players more uh, leverage in these type of situations uh, w- was the exact argument that we just made about the media that sometimes they fool around on these things or or carry their biases in or or just act in a ridiculous way and so you give more to the players and then the players don't take advantage right. of of the vote at all right and and who so who do you have vote right because it can't be the fans because the fans will find a way to get Zaza Pachulia in an all NBA game so you can't make it, obviously, any kind of front office exec because of bias. You can't make it any kind of coach because they're biased. So what what is the most objective group of people that you can get to vote for these people, for these players? It's the media. It's the media that covers these guys. It's the blog boys. It is the blog boys. It is and the, the pod pals. The people that work for the paper. I don't have any alliteration for you, but it is the newspaper. Just give me a vote. Votes. I just want to vote. I. It, it, That's I, what this whole segment's about. You know what? I, I would take vote. it. This is this is our stake. Stake your claim, right? I want to stake my claim for a vote in the All-Star Game and the All-NBA teams so I can give Jason Tatum that one vote that would have made him a unanimous All-NBA first rookie team. 
That's what I want. But again, it's and you know what? I, I've heard, you know, for instance, I, I know Rick Bennell has talked about this a lot. Like Rick doesn't like it because and he doesn't want to vote because he doesn't want his hand in anybody's pockets with this money, right? I mean, he doesn't want that to happen. So, and I get that. And I would argue because he feels like that, that makes him more qualified than anybody to vote. <laughs> because because he feels like that. It's ironic, but because he feels like that, that's what makes him even more qualified to vote than anybody else. And so that's what with, with this entire thing, right? Like, so you see it here. Yes, it's bad that Jason Tatum does not get a vote. It's only one away from being unanimous. And at the same time, put it into another group of people's hands that is not the media. I bet you can see something much more egregious than what that. But was. if you're worried about not taking money away from certain players, then you're you're biased in that way. Then it becomes not objective. And I, uh, I'll just say this: subconscious bias. Yeah, I'll just say this. I'm I take things. I, I'm extremely unbiased. I take things very seriously. Oh, wait a minute. American Psycho was a Christmas film. American Psycho might be my number one Christmas film. I, Fantastic. Yeah, these Christmas horror films. Why are, why are there, better yet, why are there so many horror films being released at Christmas time? Main character for American Psycho was Patrick Bateman, which really confused me. I always thought that Jason Bateman was Patrick Bateman and that Patrick Bateman well, bad was Jason Bateman. <laughs> Waiting for it's sorry about that. That's a bad mistake. I've used that, by the way, ever since we played that as a bump. It, it has been a part of my vernacular. Yes. That that same inflection. Oh, Eric Collins. Thank God that you're with us. All right. That's it on Marvin. Stick around. We'll be back. we got to take a second break. We'll come back again. Myself, Walker Mail, Doug Branson, joining you on the Locked On Hornets podcast. Stick around. It's the Locked On Hornets podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. Unless Mitch has Buzz on his lap and Buzz is sort of Santa vent- style, the, I like it. Oh yeah, or ventriloquist, you know. <laughs> well, let's how, how how much ventri- ventriloquist are yeah. we going? <laughs> I don't think anything, or I don't, I don't want to go that much. Whoa, yeah, I don't want to go with ventriloquist. Let's go. I like the Santa style a little bit more. Either one is creepy. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast. Thanks for sticking with us, Walker Mail, Doug Branson. It's Locked On Hornets, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Don't have much time, but we do have a Twitter question, a burning Twitter question we need to get to. Doug, please share with everyone. All right, this Twitter question comes to us from Jay Epp on Twitter. Thanks for the tweet. Uh, you can send your questions to at Locked On Hornets. His question is this, could you see the Charlotte Hornets trading back in the draft if they found a team willing to take a bad contract like Marvin Williams in exchange for non-guaranteed contracts that the Hornets could waive. So say that again. You're trading back to pair with a larger contract. Well, like essentially, essentially you're trading back in the draft in order to get rid of a big contract, big veteran contract to clear up some cap space. Yeah. And in exchange, you get back non-guaranteed contracts that you could get rid of. So you're, you're clearing cap yeah. space. Yeah. You know what? I'm, I, th- I think I want to stay where I am because it, it's so when you move back in the draft, it's so much harder to hit on a guy like the margin for error is just decreases and decreases even more. So the further back you go. And I, I want a, a broader opportunity to be able to get some talent and I'm just going to play the waiting game. Because I'm, I'm fine with where they are. Like, look, we're, nobody's fine with where they are right now, payroll-wise, and I get that. But at some point, you know, maybe you just play the waiting game. You know, Marvin's only on the books one more year. 
Dwight Howard's only on the books one more year. You take your shot, and if you get somebody at 11 instead of getting somebody at, I don't know, let's say they move back to 20 or something like that, then that that's enough spots for you to lose out on a guy. That's enough spots for you to make a difference. I'm cool just staying where I am and playing the waiting game with those contracts. You know, this whole situation really reminds me of the plot of one of my favorite all-time Christmas movies. <laughs> This is a classic. You want to just what you got. You want to put the kids in front of the tree, break out the the gingerbread, and watch Rabid, which stars former Ivory Snow girl porn star Marilyn Chambers as a woman whose armpit turns people into rabid zombies, and it's set at Christmas in a department store. I was about to say that's a Christmas movie. Where, where can you find this? Is this a Netflix movie? Is this just a bad Netflix movie? This is a, a 70s Canadian horror spectac- spec- spectacular, says newnownext.com. I saw one horror Christmas film in my entire life, at least that I can think of, and it was for film class, and it was about an evil Santa Claus. So it was like Krampus. It actually was Santa Claus with uh, Tim Allen. That's what you're thinking. That he was evil. <laughs> Tim Allen Tim Allen is the evil Santa Claus. That was Claus. a horror movie. I can buy opinion. into that. I think that's even scarier. All right. Thanks for listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Hornets. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcast. Just search Locked On Hornets. Thanks again. I'm Walker Mayo alongside Doug Branson. We'll talk to you again on Friday. <laughs>